Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today talking about what's on your ballot is Thomas Huda. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be back. Yeah, so this is like the fifth or tenth time that you've been on. We've become really good friends behind the scenes, which fifth has been or really tenth. cool. Yeah, and I met you through the podcast. You were running for mayor, and it was a year ago to the day. Is that correct? Or like, it was, I know that it... Po- Something you've been on my show so many times that I, every time I look at Facebook memories, you are in my Facebook memories of me posting a podcast. But I wanted to have you back on today because I wanted to talk about the ballots. The ballots came in the mail today at my house. So uh, you live in Eugene. I live in Springfield. I thought this was a great opportunity to talk about. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in the Springfield races. You're going to talk about what's happening in the Eugene races. We are going to talk about statewide races. And then we'll talk a little bit about Elon Musk and the Twitter takeover. So uh, we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. Maybe even play one of your songs at the end. So Thomas Yuda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. This yeah. Is gonna be fun. Yeah. No, as my voice is cracking, um, doing this uh, on Zoom is is fun and different. You know, we hosted the Grassroots Forum on Zoom, so we've been doing that. But you know, even though I'd prefer often to do a podcast in person, people are still going to get the high quality audio. It's just going to still have that zoom delay and those beautiful, beautiful social faux pas of not knowing whether to cut in with a one or two words interjection, but then it'll interrupt someone else and they'll stop talking and it'll all be on inaudible. And so, uh, it'll be excellent though. I think you've done a great job of discussing with me what topics you want to go through. Talk about a lot of excellent races, um, the c- county commission races are all very contested. The Eugene ones are largely not. Um, and there's some good stuff in Springfield as well. So uh, you want to start out by talking about the candidate forum we hosted this week? Yeah, let's talk about the forum. So 10 days before Sunday. <laughs> so it's been two weeks now. <laughs> you and I were talking and, and it was funny because you reached out to me and you said, I have an idea. And I said, yes, we should host a forum. Like I knew exactly <laughs> what you were going to ask. <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah, so so you messaged me and I'm like, let's do it. And then tell me what, why, you know, you decided that at last minute, you're like, I want to do this before this, this election cycle is over. Why you wanted to host a forum? Yeah, great question. Um, it was kind of neat that it worked out that way in a last minute sort of way, because it allowed us to basically say, hey, these are the candidates that 10, 10 days notice they were able to accommodate the willingness to have us host a debate for them, you know, and that, and they were willing to do that. 
And um, that is no knock and no shade to the other candidates who couldn't part- couldn't participate. Often that's because they have such a well-planned uh, schedule around the events that they're running for their campaign as well. Um, but, you know, I just felt like from watching forums, um, I've seen forums now, cycle after cycle. We do have elections every single year in Eugene that I pay attention to because the presidentials and then the midterms are on the even-numbered years and the school boards are on the odd-numbered years. So I've been paying attention to forums a lot, and I don't feel that they are run in a way that you and I couldn't do it. So I wanted to bring it to our audiences, the maybe more young audiences than these city clubs and these other um, legacy institutions and organizations have had listening and watching their forums, um, and also just bringing out questions and topics into the debate that aren't necessarily being brought up in other spaces. So we had... Our final question was on disability rights. We talked about the arts. We talked about uh, education. You know, we had a question in there, education in the lightning round. We tried to cover a whole lot of different important topics, and it was great that we had, um, you know, participation from Peter DeFazio in a in a video clip that I filmed, as well as a video message from Doyle Canning, and then four uh, candidates: G. Tommy Smith, Jake Matthews, John Selker, and Andrew Callick, all participating with us for the 90 minute debate. We got through a lot of topics, but I didn't feel we did yeah. it in a way that was like just completely surface level. We, we, we went into a great discussion and it showed how much respect there is in most of the race, you know, for candidates for one another. And that's, that's what we need as well. I think. Uh, it was really fun. You know, we reached out to uh, all of the candidates running, including Alex Galados, the Republican. And if he came on, we would have been fair. You know, we yeah. would have been we, I took, I took a lot of pride. I mean, if the sky in, fell, you know, I'd also respond in certain ways, but Alec was never sure. going to do our show. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I, I, you know, like there was an, there was a moment where uh, we were talking about unpopular opinions or controversial opinions. It's something that you do on the broken class podcast. Thanks. And Andrew Kalik had said that he is a Celtics fan, no matter what, even if they're playing the blazers and you put on a blazers hat, it was a lighthearted moment. And I reached for my Celtics hat and I decided not to because I didn't want to show favoritism. Like I was really trying with that forum to just be fair. You know, when I do my podcast, I don't lie about my biases. You know, I don't try to hide it. I'm just I have my opinions. It's obvious that I interview progressive Democratic candidates. But that being said, like I just when you do a forum, there is there is a decorum that that you should take pride in in not trying to steal the show. It's about the candidates, you know, and so. Uh, anybody that's listening, you can go back one episode and you could listen to uh, the Grassroots Candidate Forum on my podcast. You can also listen, I think, on yours. And also on my website, SDR Pod, there's a, a direct link to the Grassroots Forum that will have the YouTube video. It's your YouTube clip because you had broadcasted it uh, live through your YouTube channel. And it was a really fun experience. And yeah. it was an honor to share the stage, the screen with you. Uh, even though we were, like I said, I didn't want to steal the show. The four candidates that came were so awesome and gracious to do it. And I, I want to show them my appreciation, but it was a true honor, you know, to host. I mean, it's something it's, that just shows that if you get involved, that any one of us can do this because I'm a barber with a high school education, you know, that, that, and, and you and I sat down and we really kind of, kind of rush, put it together. And I don't feel like it came across that way. So I'm pretty yeah. happy about it. Oh, I agree. And I think that, um, it was a mutual benefit for everybody that participated in the in the debate. I think it was a benefit for Doyle. Um, unfortunately, Sammy Alabdraba 
um, wanted to participate and had a conflict. But I think Val, Val, some of Val's argument um, was represented by what Peter DeFazio said, even though he tried to do it in a way where he didn't name his endorsement, etc. Um, and so I really just think for the public, it was good. Um, I still haven't sent it to other groups that run forums, but I think it'd be a fun way to just link with them and say, hey, you're in the forum game. We're in the forum game now. We're in the debate game now. So they can take inspiration from what we do. And in the future, it'll just be uh, more of a growing community of maybe we'll know when they're going to do their things and and they might know when we are. And it'll just be um, we'll do our best, I think, to keep people informed of what's going on. I, I mean, the next Time could either be in the general election this fall or next next year, 2023, for school board. But it's just great to partner with you because uh, there's a earthiness to your show that I really love, the rawness to your show. And I uh, look forward to talking about all the dope politics going on. Well, I think it's a true partnership. I mean, I, I've, I've kind of organically gone – when I started the Spent the Rent podcast, I wanted to cover – Lane County as a whole. And I've kind of naturally, because I bought a house in Springfield and I, that's where I'm from is Springfield, but I had bounced back and forth between Eugene and Springfield. And I've really started to kind of go towards focusing primarily on Springfield because I think that that has a, there's a void there. There's something, there's not a lot of people doing it, especially with a progressive slant, you know, with, with that, with that angle. And so, and I encourage the conservatives to do it. It would give me material, you know, you know, but but I, I just really think that people need to use their voice. And so I've gone that direction. And so that's why I wanted to have you today is because you cover a lot more about Eugene. And so I think it's a great partnership. So these forums give an opportunity for me representing Springfield and you representing Eugene to, for us to represent the two biggest cities in Lane County and to be able to kind of use our, our style of of approach for a forum like that and it's it's just it was super cool and i look forward to doing it again so uh we're we're here today to talk about what's on the ballot the ballot like i said ballot should be in the mail today and i really i'm begging everybody to actually sit down and fill these out and take your time you have until the the 17th but you know take your time and, and think this through because there's some really 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 important races and that could change the the power structure in our area. So you are going to talk about what's happening in Eugene and, uh, and I'm going to kind of get out of the way and let you do your thing. Yeah. It's so important for voters to make an informed choice, especially in these midterms. Uh, I voted once in an election cycle in Minnesota and you just, you know, so I got that experience and you go into the booth and there's the ballot is given to you there and you can't pull out your phone and look up candidates. You can't, I mean, maybe you could bring your voter pamphlet in there, I suppose, but you know, it's just a real privilege we have to be able to, to make the most educated, informed vote possible. And I think it supports candidates who, you know, are not the most well-funded. Um, so I appreciate us uh, contributing to that effort here. I'll talk about the only contested Eugene City Council race right now. There are eight seats on the council. So every two years, there's four of the seats up for election. Right now, um, it is the... You could either have one, two, seven, eight, which was in 2020, or right now I believe it's three, four, five, and six. And the only one that's contested is the Jennifer Yeh versus Jennifer Solomon race, which I believe is Ward Four. Um, and so that means that Greg Evans in Bethel, Alan Zelenka in sort of U of O campus area, uh, Mike Clark and Cal Young, they are all unopposed. Um, 
a little bit surprising, really. But I guess midterm elections, you know, I would think with everything that happened with um, COVID, BLM, Stop Asian Hate, in general, people being very attentive to politics because we had to be on our phones and on our computers a lot more since pandemic. Um, I would think that they would be more contested races. Now, with that said, Jennifer Solomon versus Jennifer Ye is going to be a very interesting race. Um, and so with uh, Ye, you have the current incumbent council member who was appointed um, at first in 2018, I think, something like that. And then she ran for a re-election and uh, she has she has been focused on housing, on public safety, and really her reputation within council and within the community is as somebody who works really hard and tries to listen to everybody. Um, so she is facing somebody who has actually, uh, if you combine the amount of years, more experience on Eugene City Council than she does. And they're both named Jennifer. <laughs> and um, you have a very different political perspective represented by Jennifer Solomon. She was served two terms representing Bethel, but now she lives in the Harlow area. And this is this is a race in the Harlow area, essentially, in northeast Eugene. Um, so pretty much everything east of Coburg Road and north of the river, I would say, kind of roughly that, that proximity. And um, Jennifer Solomon's case is essentially that when she says most uh, or, or a lot of voices aren't being heard on council, she's effectively saying a more conservative, open conservative um, voice or maybe in her view a moderate voice if you think the council is very radical, which I certainly do not, <laughs> um, that that voice needs to be represented more, more thoroughly. And it certainly was more when she was on council. Uh, she served, I believe, with Mike Clark and with um, Councillor Poling. Um, and there's kind of actually had more of a conservative block. Now it's kind of whittled down to one person out of the eight. And so she's bringing that, um, to the table. She, it's interesting. She's kind of got business. Uh, she wants to bring business voice to the table more, although she's not in business right now. She's a philanthropy director for relief nursery. So she's in the nonprofit world. And, um, what I would say is, uh, I would really recommend people watch the city club forum. Truly. Um, it was clear to me that Jennifer Ye's current um, position within council being so in touch with the issues that are really going on right now um, and not uh, in the past has led her to be really sharp, really adept, knowing exactly um, what her vision is for the city and then trying to be a good coalition builder. And it did not appear to me that Jennifer Solomon was as thoroughly prepared. Um, that's kind of putting it lightly. Uh, if people watch, I think that uh, I wanted to see a rigorous debate between perspectives, and what I got was one candidate who was extraordinarily well-prepared and another candidate who was a, a little bit – had more difficulty um, expressing something coherent and cogent. That was my opinion. Of course, it's colored by my own political perspective, which is not – as far right leaning as it is left leaning. Um, but that's going to be an interesting race to watch because I always kind of held the belief that that Harlow um, was a little bit more of a conservative part of Eugene um, and Jennifer Ye, who was on my podcast in a really lovely episode, um, kind of sort of also pointed out to me that, you know, it's not just because I was pointing it to it and saying this is kind of a more wealthy evangelical area. And she said there's certainly that, but it's it's more diverse. 
they have Bertha Holt Elementary is a Title I school in her district, for example. So there there is economic diversity and a diversity of opinions. Um, and so that's the Eugene race on the ballot. And um, then, yeah, what else would you like to talk about? We, I, originally, I had I had put down the, the 4J school board, but since we're talking about what's on the ballot, I think now I'm going to talk about what's happening with Springfield, and then we'll get back to the 4J stuff. We'll talk about Great. that at the end. Uh, in Springfield, Some people think a, that I just ran for office. So it's just I know. A, <laughs> and we're going to get to exactly what's happening with the 4J and I did school not. board. Big stuff. Yeah, big stuff in that, in that race. And so we'll get to that in a bit. But right now, I want to talk about uh, in Springfield, the major race is the city council race that because county commissioner, which we're also going to talk about uh, for Springfield residents, there's there's Joe Bernie and David Lovell's county commissioner race is a big one, but also Heather Buck. But we'll get to that. So the Springfield City Council race, which is between Mark Molina and Victoria Doyle, uh, a lot isn't getting a lot of coverage. You know, and I had Mark on. He's a good friend of mine. He's been I mean, he has his own podcast. He's been a guest multiple times. You know, he came on talking about his podcast. He also came on talking about the work that he was doing right after uh, the holiday farms fires. You know, he was, he was instrumental in uh, helping with the recovery efforts at some of the, uh, at the uh, Springfield high school when they had moved from Thurston high school was the evacuation zone or center. And they had to move that to Springfield. That was a powerful was episode just, you had with him on that topic when it was really in the thick of it and him talking about how he was involved and how the community was getting together. I loved that episode. Yeah, he was. And I mean, it was he's the only person that I've had as a guest two times in a row, you know, because I had him on. And a lot of times my guests are found just organically from my social media page. I mean, it's literally from Facebook. And I'm like, I like what you're doing. Do you want to come talk about it? You know, and so uh, Mark is somebody that I've seen in work in action. And I think he is an incredible person. You know, he's extremely compassionate and extremely uh, empathetic towards everyone. And he's got a willingness to learn more about different cultures. He may not understand and maybe age groups and different things like that. He's just eager to learn more and include more people in the conversation. And so, I mean, it's no secret that I've endorsed him. So obviously this is going to be biased, you know, my, my take on it. And like you had said about your political leanings, we're not trying to hide that. You know, and Victoria Doyle was a last minute uh, candidate that that the day before the deadline to put her name in that she they that she uh, stepped up to run. There's many reasons that people would wait, you know, to run. Uh, and I think it's pretty common that people wait till the till the very end to, to actually formally put their name in. But it was interesting to see after she did. Uh, I was able to watch a forum because I, I know nothing about her really. And I was able to watch a forum the other night that was put on uh, Johannes Tadeo and uh, a couple other people that I'm unfamiliar with. I was, and I'm getting more acquainted with them. Uh, it was a lot of Latinx representation and people that were talking from that uh, community, young people that, oh my gosh, they did a great job on the forum. Wonderful questions, very thorough and thought out. And I think that uh, Victoria Doyle did a pretty good job and Mark Molina did a great job as well. You know, they were playing, they're, they're running a really respectful campaign of each other for the most part from what I've seen. And that's what Mark has said towards Victoria. And I have no reason to, I, I know for a fact that Mark is not somebody that would mudsling. Yeah, you know? not and, at all. You know, he's just, Possibly he's somebody to his that really own detriment. To. Yeah. Possibly to his but own detriment because he's. I he's, personally. Yeah. I am not somebody that has made any type of agreement not to uh, at least point out some some troubling things about the Victoria Doyle uh, camp. 
And, you know, if you, I mean, it's simple public records that if you go to the uh, Secretary of State's page, you can see who is who has donated to campaigns. And star, so far, yeah. what it, it says uh, that $1,000 from the Springfield Police Department, which I don't understand how the police department can donate to a campaign when it's tax funded. I, I, that's a whole different issue. That seems problematic to me. But so there, maybe there's more to it. But the Springfield Police Department, uh, over $10,000 from the Springfield Realtors, which I'm going to get to some of the backstory about the Springfield Realtors. And then $300 from uh, Joe Pichinari, who is, who is the one that's stepping down from the seat. And I, I mean, I think it's pretty well known that he had asked, asked Victoria Doyle to step up and run because he's retiring. And then also $300 from Sean Van Gordon, Mayor Sean Van Gordon. And this is public record. You know, now Springfield Realtors, uh, there was some news back in July, July of uh, 2021. There's a story on KEZI. And the headline said, local real estate broker took a stand and now she's taking heat. And basically what the story says is that a former member of the Springfield Board of Realtors resigned after she, she suggested a change in venues because the, the Springfield Realtors was having their board meetings at uh, Along Came Trudy's, which is a restaurant in Springfield that notoriously bucked the system and said, we're going to continue to stay open with no regulation, no limits on capacity during the, the, the heaviest of the COVID restrictions. And they said, no, we're not, we're not going to do it. And they received, I want to check the number over $50,000 in fines, which then they used a GoFundMe page to kind of recoup some of that and actually probably make more probably, than the Yeah, 50, They probably got 000. all of it. And so it was a pretty troubling thing when you, when you're looking at public, I mean, I work in a barbershop, we closed for two months, you know, I played along. I mean, the thing is this, I had a family member die from COVID, uh, Same. I, you know, yeah, as did you. And so it's kind of troubling when people act, acted like it was business as usual. So these people are donating $10,000 to a small city council race to her campaign. To me, that's kind of interesting. I don't want to, I don't know a ton about the Springfield Realtors board, uh, but I do know that it seems a little troubling when someone steps up and says, Hey, I want to change the scenery from along came Trudy. And then they're like, well, okay, well, if you don't resign, we're going to vote you out. And so uh, I hope that that's not the type of leadership that we're going to see from somebody that they definitely like $10,000 is not a small donation for a Springfield race. So in like one or two sentences, can you explain the conflict here? Like um, you had also, I think alluded to along came Trudy having, KZI reporting on potentially, um, I don't want to say oh, everybody I mean, that participates there or that patronizes it has a, a certain view or is racist. I'm certainly not trying to say that, but what were you going to say? I mean, it's it's really simple. If you Google, because this is how I found this story, if you Google Along Came Trudy's, uh, there is a history. The quote in the letter of, rec of resignation from this member of the board that resigned is the board's leadership decision to continue the organization's re relationship with a business that has deliberately violated the law publicly and proudly advertised its decision to do so and has become a local haven for white supremacists is deeply troubling. So uh, it's pretty scary when this board member resigns. She literally says that this is a known place that's, that's a haven for white supremacists. That's her quote. And these folks, this isn't my words. This is a story that's been reported in KEZI, and that was in her resignation letter. 
that's a problem to me when you have, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I just think that it's really telling who donates to whose campaigns, you know, obviously with bigger cases, like what we talked about on our forum, you're going to have these corporate, uh, pay to play schemes where it's like in order to get onto a, in order to get onto a, to chair uh, a committee, a committee, yeah. a committee to chair a committee, you have to donate like ways and means. For example, you have to donate up to a million dollars. And we need this out of, we need this money out of politics, you know, because yeah, these people have a right to their vote and their, um, they can use their social channels, but I mean, there's so little money that I'm, I've donated $25 to campaigns, you know, that's it. Yeah. And that's reasonable. I refuse to donate more than $27. That's a Bernie Sanders number. Well, a lot, you know, of, so just, a lot of legislation has gone through the Oregon state legislature, uh, under speaker Kina, Tina Kotek and, some of that has been commendable. Some have criticized whether the implementation has really been there. But it's interesting. Campaign finance reform, we've been talking about it and talking about it. for. De- I met Dan Rayfield many years ago at an event attended by Lawanda Manning. Rest in peace. Lawanda Manning and I had a really great interaction at that event. And still nothing is happening with campaign finance reform. Um, and it's sad because Oregon used to have it. And, I mean, I, I think that... Or star should be more transparent and more accessible. I think it should be easier to understand what's going on with campaign funds. Yeah, I mean, and, and so can you tell me about that? I, I honestly, or star is is that we said or star? Yeah, it's the oh, Secretary O-R- of O-R. State. Yeah, O R E S T A R. If you're looking to see who people have contributed to or what campaigns, uh, where they're getting their contributions from and when and what amount, that is the public database that shows that as well as showing who's the treasurer for a given campaign and and sort of uh, the address and the phone number listed for the campaign. Everybody uh, registers through Orstar. Yeah. I just think that in this race with Mark Molina versus Victoria Doyle, it's going to be really interesting. It's obvious to me why Joe Pichinari, who's stepping down, would want uh, somebody that has a conservative lean on that board because he's, he's stepping down. He doesn't want to lose that percentage of the board you know what i mean in his mind because i mean he's he's been on for a long time and and it's we've talked about it on my podcast at ad nauseum that he is a brady police former police officer where his testimony is not allowed in court because he's lied on the stand basically and so he uh, he also double he also enriched himself by taking out money i think from the county and the city at the same time uh and and only reimbursing it through one of them you know and then, and then one of the major things that I'm aware of is that when they had the Black Lives Matter protests in Thurston, and then they had the committee that was over, you know, looking at all the information, he was one of the people that was making it mandatory that you do not mention the noose. That that was the whole reason that the protest happened was that there was a noose hung at someone's house in Thurston. So the people in Black Lives Matter, Black Unity, were like, we're going to go out there and show them that Black oh, Lives yeah. Matter. Sophia was pissed. So, so he pushed so that you cannot, in talking about this, when they're discussing it with this uh, oversight committee, that you cannot mention the word noose. You have to say Halloween decoration. And so it's like things like this that are done that are like by design to just ignore anybody's narrative or pers- like, you know, th- their take on things. It's just, it's not good. Well, <laughs> I'm so- just very disappointed at him having uh, uh, distorted Mark's position because frankly, Mark Molina is such a stand-up gentleman, such a stand-up human being, uh, a veteran of the United States military, 
um, and somebody who has always carved a middle path, always sought the path of unity and harmony while not compromising his values because he genuinely has love and appreciation for opinions across the pers- the the spectrum. He's talked about the virulent racism that he and his mother have experienced, you know, the story he shared on your podcast in this most recent episode uh, about getting on the bus and, and, and that racism that was experienced. That was on your show, right? Yeah. 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 And, and um, so I, you know, I think that there's all this like guilt by association in today's culture and in our politics is so reductive that people probably who uh, would disagree with me on most issues. So people who would be more conservative would probably they're, they're looking at it and saying, oh, he's endorsed by that Democrat and that Democrat and Chris Wig, that Demo- the, the chair of the DPLC. And so therefore, assuming that he's going to be. Uh, representing some kind of radical politics that he certainly, certainly is not. The truth of it, in my opinion, is that he is such an excellent human being that he has earned endorsements from people who are maybe significantly to his left on some issues because they just know that Mark is the kind of guy who gets things done and does it in a unifying way. So I don't need to see any of that crap with it being distorted, what his record and his position are. And for example, the fact that he's talked about racism and talked about the need to ameliorate racism does not mean that he is... In any way, for example, anti-police or actually anything really that uh, conservative um, uh, people might be be tempted to believe that he is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's kind of the take that I've got is that Joe Pichinari has definitely tried to distort Mark Molina's uh, stances on things. And, you know, one of the things that Mark has ran into as an issue is that he is extremely nonpartisan running in a nonpartisan seat. And he is the true definition of it, which I think that we, even though I have my own views, I think we do need to have more of this. I think we need people that are more, not middle of the road, but more willing to listen to different people. This is one thing I do like about Sean Van Gordon. Uh I did mention that Sean Van Gordon is one of the people that donated to Victoria Doyle's campaign. I have not spoke to him about that. Sean is somebody that wants a balance. And so I'm not trying to play both sides of this, but maybe his look on this is that he wants a a balance on the court or on the board, you know, and on the council. Sorry. I don't know. I I just think that it's interesting. Now when she's, she Victoria Doyle in the voters pamphlet, it says she cites chose, they, they give the information. She chose to say that she was uh, endorsed by Joe Pichinari. And so I can't I'm blame sure her. Extremely proud of that. Yeah, he's get, been a long time, and in Springfield, he has a strong voice and a strong presence. Uh, and I'm new to this, and so I mean, I have my issues with his record, and I'm super glad that he's not running again, and that he's not going to be on the city council in the town that I live in. From everything that I've seen, it's not. He's not somebody I've watched the city council meetings, and I'm not a big fan. <laughs> so right, but anyway, can I say race, real quick because I, I think I've spent a lot of time um, trying to mention the weaknesses of like Jennifer Solomon's candidacy and Eugene and Victoria Doyle's potentially here. Uh, Victoria Doyle uh, impressed me a little bit. You know, she had a pamphlet statement where she said she'll always give a straight answer. And I gave, uh, an a- I, I asked her a question on one of her Facebook posts and she did give a thorough answer and it had to do with racial justice. If you scroll down, it was pro- uh, it was a post from maybe about early April or late March, but I basically asked a question. There's a thread with me and Anthony Reed dialoguing with her. She did give a straight answer. Um, there are parts of it I disagreed with or thought were clunky, but for the most part, I, I was um, 
interested to just see how she talks about about people of color and the exper- experiences of racism that do occur and how we need to get rid of those. And um, you know, she she yeah, did and, more and than the forum that I to. the forum that I attended where they were talking a lot about about diversity and equity and race relations and that kind of stuff. I felt like she was pretty decent, you know, the way that she, I mean, there's definitely an obvious willingness to listen there. And I think that, I, you know, I hope that that, that gives me some optimism. If she is the one that's chosen that she would at least be approachable, you know, I mean, policy wise, I think it's not, I mean, I think that we are so divided as a culture, as a society that it's so extreme left or right at this point for the people that are actually doing things yeah. that I already know how it's going to go when it comes to those kind of votes. I mean, a lot of what city council does is not going to be able to change a ton with, with, uh, you know, race relations, but it's a lot of land use law arguments and things like that. Right. But still, it's pretty important that you have people that they are appoint to a hear. lot of boards and commissions. And when you get people of color in leadership positions that, on boards that they didn't even know were running the things that are happening in their backyard. I think that's a big it's pretty deal. Obvious. I think it's a big I mean, deal. and it's also because of where they put up, you know, uh, there's certain things like uh warehouser and whatnot that are purposely in areas of low income. Yeah. You know, because they're not because con- of the, you know, and just, there's a lot of stuff that yeah. happens that it's by design that it's like, yeah, let's push that off on the people that may not have enough voice to fight. You Very know, much so. so. And, and if anybody's listening to this, that, you know, dislikes everything that I have to say that are and I'm too liberal and progressive on racial issues. Um, I hear you. I don't think you're necessarily an evil person. I'll say this much. The reason I care about people of color being represented on these boards with that run these decisions is simply because they never have been. And just like what you just said, they have those boards play such a role in the shaping of what our community looks like and where our community is going. So it's not that I think that people of color are better than white people i'm half white myself uh and i'm certainly not self-hating i uh, sometimes i'm not confident but i think i you know i i just believe that people of color deserve to have a voice just like anyone else not as not as a uh, more important um not to say that they uh, fundamentally as human beings are more important that just isn't the case. We need to rectify past injustice. And actually, if you look at places like the 4J school board, where I think we're going to talk about, there was never an Asian American on that board, even though they dealt with so many issues pertaining to exchange programs with other Asian countries, with uh, immersion programs, multiple immersion programs of Asian languages. You know, it's another situation where, you know, you're quote unquote welcome to be here, but you're not fully welcome to be here. You're not welcome to be our leader here. And that is something that I think needs to change. Yeah. So the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, county commissioner. Uh, there's two races. Uh, there's Lane County Commissioner and there's East Lane County Commissioner. Uh, I've had Joe Burney on the podcast. There's three. The Springfield County Commissioner is. Oh yeah, that's what I meant. Springfield County Commissioner is Springfield Lane County Commissioner. That's the Joe Burney. Yes. Uh, David Lovall race. Yes. And then uh, Eastland County is Heather Buck. I don't think that that's as tight of a race. I've had her on the podcast. You can listen to that. I think that she's done a really good job and she's proven the case that she deserves a second term. I believe the same about Joe Bernie. He does have a candidate that has a reasonable uh, candidacy as far as um, he's, he's really good at, at uh, 
the media stuff, David Lovell, and their signage all over town. And I think it's going to be a very tight race. And there's oh, been yeah. a lot of money pumping on both uh, from David, Joe Bernie's camp from, and from the David Lovell camp. I can tell you that, Dave, that Joe Bernie is incredible when it comes to the work that he's done for workers. You know, I mean, he is uh, somebody that is endorsed by so many different uh, unions. And, you know, he's also, I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast and I'm going to have him on next week. So we're going to have a chance to hear more about his case uh, to continue his, his, this will be his last time. He's the incumbent and he, this will be the last term if he is reelected. You know, David Lovell, I, you know, I learned a lot from his commercial, which I have to give him credit that it actually told his story pretty well that, uh, you know, he bought the Washburn building, uh, invested his life savings into it. And so it's a very Springfield story. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm, it's not going to be the end of the world if this man is elected, you know what I mean? It's a very Springfield story, you know, and that with David Lovell, but I just am a big, 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 big fan of Joe, of Joe Bernie. And I think that Joe Bernie is the type of person that we want. Uh, as county commissioner, I've watched some of those county commissioner meetings, and I think he's he's great. He listens. He is fair, you know. So I I mean I think it's a really, I think Joe Bernie is is a winner, and I I really encourage you to listen to my past episode with him, and then also next week when I have him on as well. Uh, it should be really good. I should totally uh, now. I need to try to reach out to him more. Joe is such a qualified human being for the role he does. He plays. That's why the board named him to be their chair during one of the toughest years they've ever experienced facing like four crises at the same time. I think Joe does an amazing job of being so qualified without really being a politician. I don't think Joe is a politician. I think Joe is somebody who was a teacher for a really long time, knows the community here and really loves Springfield. I think David Love also loves Springfield. I just think the values that I've seen him um, stand for and some of the ways that he articulates his positions are not appealing to me. And uh, I appreciate uh, downtown Springfield. Uh, it's it's what every time I go out there, I'm really um, pleased to to just feel um, like I'm in a really vibrant part of of Eugene Springfield. Um, and I'm sure he played a role in that. So I'll give him credit. Uh, but certainly it's a slam dunk for Joe Bernie for me in what I think will be a tight race. Agreed. Uh, so let's hear about West Lane County Commissioner. Absolutely. That's one where you actually have, you know, you've got all these uncontested Eugene races. There's four people in West Lane that want to serve. So basically um, one of the progressive strongholds of West Lane is going to be um, the west side of River Road up in the River Road community in Santa Clara, um, north of the city limits of Eugene. Um, and that's going to be a big stronghold for Don Leslie. Uh, we do not have an incumbent in this race. Uh, uh, what's his name? Jay Bozovich. Uh, he, controversial figure for some, uh, won't be in this race anymore. Um, the leading conservative candidate is Ryan Seneca, but there are also uh, two other candidates uh, their names are Misty Fox and Terry Duman. But this is really between Dawn and Ryan. And uh, Dawn is an environmental engineer. She came extraordinary, extraordinarily close in her first attempt to uh, earn this position. And she has gained the support of a lot of trusted voices here in our community. Uh, and I think that having an environmental engineer is going to be amazing for all the work that uh, with with water and resources, natural resources, with uh, with. Um, resiliency and preparedness for other emergencies. You know, Don's voice is really going to be 
excellent on the county board. Um, and yeah, and I'm excited for uh, it would be a woman majority out of the out of the five people. Presuming that um, Heather Buck wins re-election, it would have Heather Buck, Lori Trieger, and Don Leslie. I think for the first time you'd have three women and have a woman majority on the board. And again, that's just something that uh, was unfathomable for literally the foundation of the board for decades and decades and decades and decades until now. And um, there are th- those those folks that I just mentioned are all people that I hold in high regard. Even though full disclosure, I thought Heather Buck's episode on your podcast. Not exciting. <laughs> I don't think she's yeah, again tough. not a politician. It's tough so to have a hundred out of a hundred. I mean, I mean, she, yeah, Heather she's is really great. qualified. And, I just and, don't think it was very uh, entertaining, and that's fine. That's there's good. so much going on too. There's so much going on behind the scenes, and I agree, it wasn't the highest energy episode. <laughs> but that being said, you know, some of it's on me. Maybe I didn't it, uh, bring the right fire myself. You're good. Uh, but I mean, I've met her in person, and she's extremely awesome. You know, and and so I was. Uh, I was grateful that she came on the podcast. That's been something that I've really wanted to to make happen for a long time. And I was grateful that she she did it. I think that she had a lot going on that day. I think that she had a lot of places to be, you know. And so, no I mean, sweat. a lot of times. She talked about happens, rural yeah. broadband. She talked about issues that I could. Oh, it was a good one. Yeah. There's a lot of good information in there. Yeah. It just wasn't, you know, and, and full disclosure, when we record these podcasts, some, I, I record at 9 or 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Sometimes people are like, why did I agree to do this a month ago? Yeah. You know, because it's usually a month off and then, and then, you know, but yeah, it wasn't the highest energy episode. There's no question. But Heather Buck is awesome. She's awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and I met her at the fairgrounds. And uh, we were, I was working at the democratic party tent and I was only there for a short time. And then the shooting happened and I was, I had just talked to her and, and I met her and I was, I was definitely kind of like impressed with her presence. I thought she was really awesome. So, uh, and then not only just meeting her in person, just, I know her record. I know yeah. the work that she's done, you know, and she's got high marks. And so she was the chair of, of the board for a short time as well, you know, and, and yeah. So, and elected by her peers, you yeah. know, I think that she's very qualified. Lori Trieger so, told me uh, something really interesting. Um, Cause there's five districts, right? Two rural ones. And, and then there's North Eugene, South Eugene, which is Lori Trieger and Springfield, which is Joe Bernie and North Eugene is represented by Pat Farr just to finish out the category, right? Like it's jeopardy. Uh, and um so the fascinating and wonderful thing is that we've got these really strong candidates, Heather Buck and Don Leslie, for these, you know, everybody says, ooh, urban-rural divide, ooh, the rural areas are just hyper-conservative. Hyper that is just not necessarily the case. That may exist That may exist in those spaces, but if you go out to Oak Ridge, out, out east, where Buck represents, uh, if you go through Venita and out to Mapleton and the Florence area where Don Leslie is working to represent, you know, there's a lot of diversity of thought. And um, and it's really interesting. Before Lori Trieger was elected in 2020, um, there had been women on the county board before, but never in the urban parts. So Lori was the first uh, to be in the one of those three urban districts to be a woman who was elected. And what I think that says, honestly, is rural common sense. I think that less entrenched power in the rural areas and also more common sense to know that women can do the job at least as well as men can to where they've already been electing because they're, they've got this, these community attitudes and they see women in their community and mothers and, and aunties and people in their faith communities leading. And so it's just a no brainer that you can have people regardless of their gender be leaders. And so, um, yeah, I love the County board. Um, even though the issues are 
dry and boring a lot of the time. I don't go to that many meetings. Uh, I love knowing that the people that are willing to go through all that stuff, frankly, granted, they do get paid better than any other a local elected official by far. And it is actually kind of their full-time job, which is also yeah. interesting compared to a city councilor, a state representative, or even a mayor. Um, yeah, it's, uh, well, I guess mayors mostly they're retirees, <laughs> so they are. It is their full time job effectively, but they're they're paid a a partial stipend, you know, twenty four thousand or something. I just love knowing we've got good people. I don't I don't think that's the case in Springfield. You know, I, I think oh that they, they unpaid completely. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think you like might be right. Path. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's a like you get a pass? bus pass or something. Yeah. So now let's move on to statewide races. Yeah. Uh, the, the big one, you know, governor. I mean, this is huge. You know, and I don't know a lot about these candidates. Uh, I saw oh. that you, uh, Tina Kotek versus Tobias Reed is the Democratic ones. I don't even know if I'm going to talk about the Republican ones because I do not. Uh, maybe they'll be closer. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about the Republican candidates. All I've seen, uh, just their commercials. It's just, I just, it just cracks me up. They're like, I'm coming. <laughs> you know, they're like, I'm coming. And I was joking today. I was thinking about making like spoof uh ads for youtube that would be like if democrats made uh uh campaign ads like republicans did they're like i'm gonna come to your neighborhood and i'm gonna make you install solar panels and i'm gonna cut off your truck nuts whoa there's a lot of people in that race i didn't know how many people were in it okay i know okay christine drazen is a big name bud pierce is a big name it'll be one of them yeah. Okay. There's some, Sorry, I mean, Stephon. there's some pretty strong candidates, yeah, in the Republican side. I just don't know a lot about it because that's not what I follow. I never even looked but, until now, really. Yeah. yeah. So we can we can revisit that if whoever is chosen when we get closer to the general election. And I think that the choice on the Democratic side is going to be between Tina Kotek and Tobias Reed. And uh, you met Tobias Reed today, and tell me what that was like. Was that today? It was today, and I've met Tina Kotek a few days ago as well. Um, so I'm glad they both came to Eugene. Hope they both come to many, many more parts of Oregon, even if it won't necessarily feel welcome to them. Remember when Obama went down to Roseburg? He didn't feel very welcomed, I don't think, but he did it, you know? And uh, do you remember that? That was just after a gun, gun violence incident, which made it especially hostile, honestly, for him. And so... It's going to be a really interesting race. Um, Tina Kotek has uh, held positions that no open lesbian has ever held before. She talks about that sometimes as Speaker of the House and then would be the first open lesbian governor of um, Oregon. She's uh, in there in what's kind of a triad of the three people who are seen as having really run the state government um, in the last several years. And that would be Peter Courtney, the Senate president. Tina Kotek, the Speaker of the House, until most recently she stepped out of that position in order to run. And now Dan Rayfield is the Speaker of the House. And the third one being Governor Kate Brown. So um, here's one of the criticisms. Um, well, okay, let me say that before I get to criticisms. Tina Kotek has led a legislature which has passed a lot of bills. A lot of, yeah. uh, you know, so for example, I was just at the Tobias Reed event. Tina Kotek talks about paid family leave being something that was passed. Hey, paid family leave is wonderful. What a, what an accomplishment. However, it isn't helping anyone yet because it hasn't been implemented. So a lot of things are revealing a difference between passing laws and actually having them in action, implemented in places where Oregonians' lives are actually improving. And so 
Um, now, Tobias Reed is seen as somebody who uh, is a little bit more outside of that central control fold, although he has also been the state treasurer. Um, so he has been at the table, effectively. Um, and Tobias Reed uh, talks a lot about his campaign is largely focused on measuring Oregon's success by how well our children are doing, you know, family and children's issues. He is also somebody who is uh, not afraid to say that, you know, businesses like Intel being the number one uh, private employer in Oregon, you know, wanting to increase linkages and and lessen the hostilities that can exist between public and private entities. So that would be kind of a more moderate position. Tina Kotek is following in. Uh, okay, so one of the things that is going to be difficult for her is that Kate Brown is not a is I'm just going to say it, she's not a popular governor. In if you look around the United States, Kate Brown is one of the most uh, disapproved of governors in the whole country, uh, and you can totally uh, have your opinions on why that is and if that's fair or not. But it is the case, and Tina Kotek is seen as being. Betsy Johnson calls her uh, a Governor Brown on steroids, and I don't know if that's fair. I think that any, that a lot of people who have worked with Tina think that she's a remarkably sharp, capable, uh, committed person to getting things done, but maybe has sometimes broken promises along the way. Or, yeah, I'll go as far as to say that. Willamette Week has some good podcast uh, uh, content about it um, where, you know, there was a conflict between um, the – BIPOC People of Color Caucus, and particularly Gen Representative Janelle Bynum, who is a black woman in the Oregon Senate. No, sorry, Oregon House, I think. Don't remember. One of the, uh, an Oregon legislator, no, in the House, because she wanted to be, she wanted, she, she said after the, um, Black Lives Matter uprising in 2020, I think it's time to have our first person of color be the Speaker of the House. And Tina Kotek effectively said, uh, what, 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 so Janelle Bynum was going to challenge Tina Kotek for that. And Tina, and there's disagreement about what was said because Tina, uh, said, you know what, if you hold out and don't do it this time, I will support you in the future. Bynum took that as to mean, so, okay, when I run next time, you will throw your weight behind me, which is a lot of weight. And instead that didn't happen. And when Janelle Bynum tried to run, Tina Kotek did not support it. And so Tina basically said, well, that means that I was just saying in general I would be supportive of you, not necessarily that I would support you for the candidacy for this, this position. So it did ruffle a lot of feathers. And um, there just seems to be a little less of baggage in that regard with uh, with Tobias Reed. He seen, seemed to be somebody who uh, – and I asked him about this. How are you actually – like? I don't want to just take for granted that you're a candidate who's going to be able to uni unite – the state and, and, and really speak to people all the way down in Curry County on the South coast, all the way out to Malheur County. You know, I'm naming these counties for him and I'm saying, how are you going to do it? And and I think he, his biggest thing was saying he's going to show up. He's actually going to show up in those places and um, try to be more communicative with them. Um, and, you know, you should absolutely scrutinize him, even though I don't have as much to say about, uh, you know, you should, you should go into this knowing that, that it's going to be one of those two people. And that's my apologies to Nathan Starnes, who's running a very uh, p uh, progressive uh, anti-big money in politics campaign. Look into Nathan Starnes for governor, please, if you're someone who's really interested in this. And you probably are because you're listening to this podcast. Um, 
And I would say, yeah, it's going to be either Reed or Kotek. And Reed believes that he is more capable of, of winning in the general uh, because another point he made today in Eugene was that these governor's races, even in normal times, actually come out quite close. Um, Kitzhaber, you know, Go- Brown, these people don't win by wide margins, even though people think that Oregon's a blue stronghold uh, statewide. And so don't take anything for granted. Um, and and there is a third-party candidate who went to... Yeah, the who- third-party candidate, Betsy Johnson, which <laughs> I wasn't aware of, really. I got to be honest. I'm, I'm learning so much about all this stuff in the last few years. But she is running as an independent, but not in, is it independent party or is it? Cause there's a difference. Like you, you know, there's independent, independent party. party. Okay. So she's running as the independent party. Cause there is nonpartisan and independent party. So the part it's kind of funny, but people say, yeah, they say I'm an independent or independent party. Yeah. Yes. There's a non, non affiliated. And then there's independent. Cause people will be like, well, I'm an independent. And I'm like, well, that's a party. Like that's like green party at this point, you know, or, I mean, the, like the, that's, you know, the equivalent to what's kind very of, different views. Kind of. Yeah. Independent party I mean, seems to be a more one of the most blank slate third parties, though it doesn't sure, come sure. with but it's like libertarian baggage and green party baggage of what those entities represent. Um, sure. Betsy Johnson is also an alum of Carleton College, like me, <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> She's from like uh, Scappoose, like North Coast. Uh, was in the legislature for a really long time, but yeah, she switched out from being a Democrat. She's always been one of the more conservative Democrats, and uh, she just ditched the label altogether, ditched the party altogether to run this effort. And um, I don't know. She's some... got a pretty funny camp or commercial. I got to be honest, it's pretty good. Her commercial, yeah. Like, I mean, I well, I, have you not seen it? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's pretty good. She, I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, I can watch commercials even if I don't think I'm going to vote for the candidate and be like, that was, that was okay. That was good. You know, like, cause I mean, I've been watching campaign ads since I was a little kid, you know, and then they've been on forever and just to see how they, they all look, it's like there's, there's progress with them, but they all stay the kind of the same, you know, that's all the same thing. Like I'm going to do something different, you know, but a lot of, a lot of she, Betsy's sort of message, I would boil it down to, I've been a common sense person in Oregon and the, the, the state government is run by a democratic party that is that is unrecognizable to me that has run down a path that i think is, is has flee, fled from common sense and i'm here to bring it back and and so she you know kotech points to the fact that she would undo a lot of climate policies because she views them as being too burdensome on businesses um so she uh in my view is appealing to um disaffected conservatives or people who'd have to watch the oregon gop fail over and over and might want to try something different um, and, uh, it'll be interesting to see who she pulls from more as somebody who was a former Democrat. Um, I kind of found out about her early on through Rick Dancer, um, being somebody who has had a lot of positive things to say about her. And, uh, it's hard for me to imagine, hard for me to imagine a Rick, uh, a voting for somebody, based explicitly on Rick Dancer's uh, endorsement of them. No, it's interesting uh, though. And I'm not a fan of Rick Dancer at this point. He's, he was a guest early on, but we've gone our separate ways. We had divorced. Uh, but like, uh, I, I will say that I read some of the comments. I don't follow Rick Dancer, but every once in a while, I will look him up on Facebook and read what he's up to. And I read the comments that he had in, I don't know if it's an endorsement. He had talked about her campaign and he, and people are expecting him to be like a mouthpiece for the far right, not even the far right. Like, I think it's just white supremacy at this point. The people that are expecting 
his, and he may not see it that way and he'll get super pissed about this, but I mean, he won't know. Food, I'm, he's, he doesn't, he's, he's busy. But the point is, is that these people were like, well, how could you Oregon anymore either? But well, he's he still covers it. Trying to he cut, still yeah. covers it. But I mean, it was, I just, I see these responses and granted it's not his fault sometimes. I mean, they were attacking him. So I guess that says something that's not his fault, you know, but that these people were literally like, you know, all she's going to do is help the Democrat win. Well, how could you do this? You're a traitor, you know? And it's just like, it's so funny to me. Like, what have you done for me lately is the response that you get from so many people that it's like, if you don't do exactly as I want, then, then you're dead to me. Cause those same people have been just loving what he's been doing. And, and the reasons that I'm not a fan of him, not just based on policies that he pushes. I mean, for one thing, his, his stance on COVID was disgusting with Rick Dancer, the way that he approached it, just like I had mentioned earlier about the uh, people at Along Came Trudy's. He was all about how, what a kick. These people at Along Came Trudy's, they're just exercising their rights. It was dangerous and people died for those actions. There's no two ways about it. And so, you know, it's just, it's just interesting to see him kind of be like, whoa, you guys aren't playing nice. I mean, he's just so far. I'm, I don't know. I mean, one of the things for me was him comparing uh, Autzen Stadium having a vaccinated area and an unvaccinated area, you know, just directly comparing that to uh, white supremacist segregation of the the 60s and 70s um, and and the 50s. And I just do not think that that is a a comparison that uh, holds a lot of water. Yeah, he also talked to Isaiah Wagner and I saw how he was asking. He's like, I don't believe that you experienced the racism that you're talking about. Really? It was one of the most disgusting things. Oh, yeah. And when he had Isaiah Wagner on, he's like, do you really experience when is the last time you experienced racism in Springfield? And Isaiah's well, I think like, he's got a are you talking loop? about every day? I think that I think that Rick is, has a feedback loop of people who are people of color who tell him that who say, say that they never experience racism. And so he, and I'm totally supportive of people of color of all stripes and people in general, speaking their truth and speaking what they believe about their own lives. How, who am I to tell somebody what they have and haven't that's, experienced? That's my only point. That's my uh-huh. point is that when someone tells you that their experience, I'm not saying that, you know, we're not saying that it's uh Mississippi, you know, or whatever, you know, that, but in the sixties, but I mean, when, when someone tells you that their experience they're experiencing some type of bigotry. You're not going to be like, do you really, you know, you know, but we've got stuff we need to, to get to before we get out of here. Uh, anyway, and I don't want to get off topic about Rick dancer for too long, but yeah, when he's the one pushing for Betsy Johnson, that might not be a good indicator that she's going to align with our views. Do you want to say you know, something but, briefly about the school board thing that happened? I do want to mention the school board thing. And then I want to just get your quick take on Elon Musk taking over Twitter. So tell me what's going on with the school board. Like you had said, people think that you're running or ran or that you're the superintendent now. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not even. Yeah. So tell me what's happening with the school board. Uh, you had put your name. There was two people that had stepped down. So, yeah, you can tell it better than I could. Yeah. But tell me. So what's um, Martina Shabram was in her first term only. She uh, got elected in 2018. Uh, and am I right? 20, 2019 sorry they're all a year off of everything so she was she was only three three years into her term 
uh, has a year remaining. And uh, I know that she works for SAS, Sexual Assault Support Services, uh, in a leadership position of some kind there. And uh, basically, um, the board really, with the superintendent search, which is a big, big deal, you know, that happens more rarely than, you know, any other like just board elections or chair elections, Uh, picking a new superintendent is a big deal. And uh, I know that the board just just was a big time commitment um, to remain on it. And she decided uh, and I think she had professional obligations that she um, wanted to uh, focus on. I think she did a good job on the board for the most part. And she was the only person who was a young person. Uh, I, I don't she has her doctor of ed, but she was like 31 or something. So relatively young. And um, so she uh, also was, uh, at the same time, Mary Walston, who has served since 2009 as a longstanding uh, member of the board. Um, she uh, had health reasons that she cited as her reason for stepping down. Um, and so they went from a board of seven to five people. And uh, my very first experience trying to seek a public office was before I ever ran for mayor. In 2019, a vacancy opened up when Evangelina Sundgren's left the, ca- the board. And uh, I stepped forward and I met Maya Rabasa through that. Maya was a finalist out of 15 candidates. Uh, she was one of the three finalists and then lost out to Jim Torrey in a, in a vote that um, devastated a lot of the public who had just uh, uh, fired Jim Torrey from his role, as Laurel O'Rourke on the board says, uh, basically by, by electing Martina in, the, uh, in his position instead, as, and he lost his reelection bid. But the board still chose him to come back onto the uh, the board over um, someone extraordinarily qualified who had done thousands of hours volunteering in the district named Maya Rabasa. So Maya uh, did end up running uh, in the following election and won. And so um, that's that's really glad to see her on the board. I loved meeting her in that experience. Um, I ran a sort of protest campaign for mayor that I announced at a 4J meeting in 2019 um, because of my frustration with uh, the anti-democratic nature of what happened in that in that process, uh, and as well as just some things that that I didn't appreciate about how the board was handling the process and trying to accommodate people with disabilities, not I think effectively doing it. So that um, happened. And uh, fast forward to now, these are the most recent vacancies since then, a double vacancy. Very, very historic. I don't think it's ever happened. Uh, I know it hasn't happened because I've looked into who every single school board member has been on the 4J school board. And so they How had, far does it go back? How many years does it go back? Um, I Probably the, the like 1900, maybe something like that, 1910. Yeah. Maybe um, late. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, anyway, North North ahead. High School, my high school didn't start till 1951. So anyway, um, big deal for that to happen. And the community the community showed up. They turned in applications. So this wasn't running yeah. for what running for a seat. This wasn't a special election. This was something where you wanted to get the vote, the board to choose you as a vacancy filler for the remaining 13 months of both of those terms. And you had 38 people apply, 34 people, um, I think maybe the point is 38 people in total applied. I think four rescinded, so it was down to 34. 29 of them spoke at the first um, like three to five minute session where each person got to speak uh, their opening statement of, or why they want to do it basically. And I was one of those people. 
they took nine of those finalists and I was really honored to be a part of that. I thought that was a real exciting move up because of the time that I didn't get chosen as a finalist in 2019 when I really believed I had qualities that should be represented on the board at that time. So there we are. You got, you got your eight finalists, um, nine and then one dropped out. So there's eight finalists. And then just, uh, on Wednesday, the, uh, whatever that day was the 27th. Um, yes, the 27th, they had, uh, up to 25 minute on Monday, up to 25 minute interviews. And on Wednesday, the big voting between all the eight candidates where the board was really, really trying to figure out who to appoint at a time when the board has disagreements that are, that are deep seated and fundamental are really interesting to watch. You know, um, there was a woman walking her dog outside of the proceedings on Wednesday and she was telling me that she was like, we don't need to, uh, any more lib turds in there. All of them are lib turds. And, uh, that was her view of the board uniformly being a perspective that she doesn't agree with, but that, that isn't, I mean, okay. All of them I think would purport to be a more liberal than they are conservative, but there is a establishment block and there is a more progressive new school block. And so well, anybody that says lib turds, I block from Facebook first of all, but second of all, like, you know, you can't get right. that too much. No, it was funny. It's funny what people will tell you when they think that you, ideologically agree with them just because you're polite. So I was polite to her and she was just telling me all this stuff about why she's like, we did, we did, we, yeah, it was interesting experience. Or they don't care or they have such strong conviction that they don't care if you agree. Yeah. And I respect um, people for being honest about them, their views, you know what I mean? But not when they're going to use that terminology, but right. for that, like, go ahead. So I really actually ultimately made it to the final six, which was cool. They eliminated two people from consideration on Wednesday. And then they finally kind of like, broke their stalemate by making a compromise. Um, it wasn't a compromise that led to Tom DiLiberto um, getting on the board, um, which Tom it would be the first ever actual person who was a teacher, who was who, who their career was a teacher being on the board. Uh, There's never been a teacher on the board. That's what he tells me, and I believe it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and he's taught for like 29 years, 30 years, something, uh, Spanish education and, uh, is an amazing human being, but there are, uh, interesting politics surrounding his time as the bargaining chair for the union of teachers, the EEA, uh, they just, they brick walled against him being a part of, of their, of their board there because instead the, the, the arcane rules of this that they cited was that out of uh, seven people, you needed to have a majority of four to point somebody onto the board, even though there are only five people. So the three out of five is the majority of the current board members, but they still said, no, we need what's called a quorum of four. And so because you had two board members who uh, openly, I'm not, I'm not knocking them. I'm actually take, saying what they said for all... I'm basically helping them by getting what they said in public out to more people. They were not going to appoint Tom DiLiberto. They weren't going to do it. And so they, um, the compromise led to two people, one of whom I know um, reasonably well from her activism in the Black Lives Matter movement and as a really dedicated historian and a supporter of the Chinese immersion program in 4J. Her name's Michelle Xu, H-S-U is her last name. She uh, had a clear path um, because she got support um, in a wide way that no one else got 
at any point in this in the in the conversation. And uh, another thing that you know, as podcasters, we could learn from her. She doesn't talk forever. She knows what she's gonna say, and she keeps it short and sweet. And sometimes you need people on a board like that, where it's not just everybody's gonna go over their speaking time like I would <laughs> on the board. Sure. Uh, sure. So, um, so really, just excited about her. And um, Kirti Hasija Kaufman. Don't know much about her. She actually was out of the country during the time. Um, but I believe she's a parent in 4J. And she comes across as very competent, professional, and um, seemed, and was kind of a compromise candidate that could be supported by both factions of the board. I'm using air quotes for the audio listeners. And so, yeah, that was my long-winded way of saying, hey, you know, um, I feel that what my current level of experience as a 28 year old, um, I made it clear and proved that I would be a good board member, just like everyone else who made the top eight and the top six. Any of us would be good board members. And I represented my current level of experience, I think 95% as well as I could have. And it, and I and I also experienced knowing that, yes, it was just never going to happen with this current board. But the board is changing and growing and, and, and developing in a way that I think that um, they will seek out young and more uh, – unconventional people sometime i hope just looking at what gaps could be filled in their perspectives um so really uh looking forward to seeing the two board members come together that will allow the board to to function a lot better that's what everyone they don't agree on much but that's what everyone agrees on once we have seven we can function better than when we're trying needed to get four out of five people to agree on stuff well i'm really you know it's awesome to see you step up it's awesome to see i know how passionate you are about 4J school district and, you know, education. And so uh, it was really cool to see you have a lot to be proud of in, in the, I mean, it was a short little, I don't know if you call it run, but yeah, kind of it involved me for circulating a petition. So it looked more like I was running for office in a way than when I really was running for office. Yeah. But um, so, I mean, there's a lot you're learning a lot and that's the thing, you know, and I think that you have a bright future in politics in our area. And it'll be interesting to see how, how our dynamic changes, because obviously you're very transparent and accessible. And I think that uh, in elected office, maybe that would be a little, it would look a little different. So we'll just have to see what, what that future holds. Uh, I, we do running out of time. So I want to talk briefly about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. If you even have a strong opinion, uh, it's going to be, I don't use Twitter a ton, but Twitter is so instrumental in the political world. It has so much power over and influence. I do not like the idea of one person having ultimate control of this. I don't think people really understand what's happening and we don't have time to, to really get into it, but everybody needs to like pay attention to this because yeah. if this isn't the future holds, when you have one person that has enough money that they can just be like, guess what? boom, I now own this thing, you know, that can basically spread information throughout the world and dictate what information comes in and what information doesn't. It's the modern day they public say that square. It, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, people don't understand because a lot, there's a lot of people that don't use Twitter, but Twitter yeah. is massive in Washington, D.C. Massive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? And journalism too. Yeah, no. Twitter has like less than a tenth of the users as Facebook. You know, it's it's way less than Facebook, but it's still, yeah, that makes it even more disproportionately influential in halls of power and what information is considered credible. Um, and so to sum up my opinion on this, um, Elon Musk, I would be concerned about the way he's run some of his companies in the past. Uh, Elon Musk, 
uh, has uh, articulated some goals for the company to say we – I think he wants to do an edit button for tweets. I think he uh, wants to do um, – human ver- verifying uh, that every account is uh, attached to a human being and so thereby getting good, rid of bots. There are um, a lot of things that sound good and um, I kind of adopt a little bit of a wait and see approach before I um, get too strongly in my opinion either way. I mean, you know, like I'll, I'll be – I a lot of lessons from the last few years mean that, you know, you're not always right uh, ahead of time. And so having a little epistemic humility to say, I hope that he does good things with the platform. Uh, I don't like the overall system and what it tells us about just um, the current level of capitalism where uh, any, you know, he could take, do this hostile takeover and there's basically nothing that anyone can do about it, including the people who are already in the board of Twitter because of their fiduciary responsibilities. It's a clear example of money running things more than people and more than what uh, human beings want. It truly is that that yeah, board had to do that because of, because of money. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's startling to just see the sheer, what was the number? We were talking about this in a Facebook thread, $227,000 a day for, is how, for how long? I mean, it's some ridiculous yes. amount, how long it would take for, I mean, it was for, Oh my god! It's just—it's just a ridiculous amount of money, for forty-four billion dollars. Yeah, no. The, just to explicit the, share what you were talking about, you shared something that was like if you made two hundred thousand dollars a day from what was the first period of time until now? I can't remember. I can't remember. But you know, I mean, it's just the sheer... you would still not be able to afford Twitter based on what he paid for it. No. Yeah. No. And I mean, it's just it's it's just such an it's ridiculous, and it just shows. I mean, the absolute gap in the haves and have-nots in this world, and it's just it's disgusting. It's disgusting. But we are running out of time, so we're gonna end this with a song. Uh, I've, I always want like to play your music. Uh, you go you do, do music under the name Gradient. The song is called Stew, and it has a feature from Chris Calico. Calico. Uh, I think I've played Calico. I think I've played this on the podcast before. I could be wrong. Yeah. Now matter. that I hear you say but, Calico, I'm like, oh yeah, I think you have played it, but because I probably said it wrong both times. Uh, tell me about the song. Tell me about the album. What's oh, going on with that? Oh, I love uh, the song, uh, and it was an opportunity. Of, um, I'll probably do another collab with him. Where uh, this one is just kind of um, letting blowing off some steam, talking about setting the record straight on some bullshit that sometimes people will come at you with some bullshit, and you're like, no, I don't actually have to accept that because you are saying this bullshit. Uh, I'm just gonna kowtow. No, no, no. So this is me literally being like, um, yeah, no. It's like people have have said things about me, uh, like just from like college, and I'm just like, um, no, I. You're you're still trying to bully me when I'm doing like positive things in my community. So let me just let me just clap back a little bit. And so that's part of it. And I named some names of people that um, thought they could just you know kick a person of color around. Frankly, that's and I know these people to have um, attitudes that are that are that are bigoted. So I'm not just saying that willy nilly. And uh, Chris is on the track. Um, bringing a lot of that that hard edge to it. This is grittier than where I would go with a lot of my music, but uh, proud of this track. 
and it's going to be on the album Chicken. And now the summer's coming soon, so I'm really excited to get a release date locked down and get some of this music out there for people to enjoy during the sunshine. Thanks for having me on the show, dude. It's been really fun. Yeah, man. And when you do get the album done, we'll have you back on and we'll play it. You know, cool. So, so this is Gradient with the song of Gradient featuring Chris Calico. Yeah. This is the song, Stu. <laughs> if I'm feeling good, it's gotta be real because I can't fake it. As far as looking good, I'm hoping that rhyming with conviction and heart is more essential, so we'll see. Not long ago, I lost a home and a car in the same day And in the moment, I thought that I may break But even though it was harder to stay focused Well, if you know me, you know I never vacate Not when the world been spinning like a Beyblade Gripping it, ripping it until the things shake Destabilize and never maintain But take from your neighbor, that's a great gain With Senator Sent to play the same game Inside a trade so they can make bank So the Kirsten Cinemas and Joe Mansions Got their home cinemas and their old mansions Wanna put they pay before you Ooh, then we cry and vote blue Really don't know what's inside of your Stew. But I know that never can I now trust you If your heart's made of coal, we then combust you Walls up, no Kool-Aid man could bust through I'm looking like Schoolie D meets the Thule P Plus the food he eats is up to Can't help it, I do mean to disrupt you Cause any looming trust is up, dude I'm low on charge, let me write you later Then who needs up, he got you Electric shocking all, verbal bocking all Watch I'm walking all on your vocabulary On a tear like I'm perforated, aerated, percolated All the perjury I thought I had to bury It's another Ryan Gorys and the David DeMarks Across five years that made fake remarks Yo, when you're spreading a lie and you're not getting it right I think the evidence might be one place to start When you betray the truth, then you betray yourself Stewing the pain to try and drain it slow I can understand we getting tricked into bullying But hurry up and take responsibility, bro Being homeless and carless, got nothing on the pain of bigoted harm and my people frequently targeted so when i speak i keep receipts please proceed cali yeah many men can't walk a mile of my shoe took a while i got proof not in style i got moved dumb it down but i tried and they lied to a job i'm not cool and everyone inside but not you always want to sit on the side of my pool think it got way more pride than i do oh well still living alive i'm not through pick it up and then i'm putting it down beside you and I cry till I'm blue Really don't know what's inside of your stool But I stay ten toes down in my shoe Made it kinda sick and resipping I had a flu Would've been different and given it time but I'm through I was trying to make me a hole to climb through Everybody told me you're too hard to find you Kylie